I don't, I don't know that you can understand this, but I've never felt closer to him yeah. than when I went through all that. of God. He raised me up to where I could walk again. I raised three children and Nancy that you heard from earlier is my youngest. So I just wanted to tag on to what Jan said because he loves you even if you don't know him. I, I learned him. I came to him shortly after that accident. And I've walked with him ever since. So he is good all the time. Each week we like to make a declaration of some of the things that God has revealed to us as the purpose for us being a church family here in Myrtle Beach. 
And uh, about six months ago, just over, we went through a process where we identified some of the things that hold us back and we broke our agreement with those and we asked God to show us what can we declare, what can we hold on to, what can we say, yeah, this is why we're here. So this is why we do these declarations each week. And this week we're looking at a, a blessing from God. Thank you, Laura. Um, what we looked at was to renounce any form of bitterness. Yes. Okay. Anybody ever had bitterness kind of take root in your life? I know I have. I love breaking my agreement with bitterness because bitterness is not part of God's inheritance for us, is it? So this is what we're going to declare. I'll lead us. You say it with me and we'll read this off the screen. We renounce bitterness and receive God's blessings of shalom, peace, fruitfulness, safety, and promise. As the joyful river of God's Spirit wells up among us, we celebrate everyone growing into maturity and destiny. We give and receive love with purity and offer the salt of the covenant to make our world fruitful again. Amen. 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 That's what we love to do. We are here to build one another up and to bring out the best in one another. That's what God has called us to be as a church family. And that's my theme for this morning as we turn to the scriptures together, is bringing out the best in one another. And when I say that, I don't mean this. Some of you know I have survived the COVID era by collecting memes, and that's one of my favorite ones because all of my kids loved Star Wars. Um, but that's not the way we want to do it. Okay, let's take that away because that's too distracting. <laughs> what I mean is what those of us who were here together last week saw happening in our gathering and what all of us who've been here together this morning have seen happening in our gathering where we bring out the best in one another. So last week, we had Alex being our DJ for worship. That was beautiful and powerful and probably different from anything you've ever done in church before. But that's good, isn't it? Um, Corey's not here this morning, but he was dancing. He was dancing in ways that I had never knew anybody could dance. You know, I mean, all this kind of stuff. I can't do it. And if I did, I'd need to go back to the chiropractor. Yeah, we got... <laughs> Thank you for laughing. You, you, you grabbed a banner. You were joining in, right? Yeah, as Jennifer with a banner that found talking about God's glory resting upon us just from his words. And it was sort of like you just felt God sort of go on you as he spoke it out, didn't he? And, and, and Linda talking about how God revealed to her that he delights in her. And he delights in all of us. Uh, and then, you know, this week we had Crystal pushing Nancy under the bus of what had happened at Prophetic Art Journaling. And God loves to draw out what is in us so that we draw out the best in one another. Yeah. You saw Jamie do it to Jan at the end of the worship there. You saw Jan do it as she's giving glory to God for what God's done, right? So we're all of us here to bring out the best in one another. Yeah. And I've been reflecting on that these last few weeks. And it struck me, and this is the, the kind of the catch, if you like. <laughs> I treat others, or the way I treat others, maybe I should say it this way. The way I treat others flows from the way I see God. The way I treat others flows from the way 
I see God. It flows out of my view of God. And so I, in the spirit of tricking you slightly, I would like to give you a short test. <laughs> Can you pass those around, please, Jennifer? This is light-hearted, but it also has uh, a purpose. I would love you to take just two or three minutes, go as quick as you can, scoot down this list and put a check beside the statements that you say, yeah, that's true. Or there may be some way like, mm, I'm not sure. And so you can put a question mark. Or there may be some that you're like, no, that's not, that's not what God is truly like. And you can put a cross. Okay? So just go as quick as you can down the list and do check, question mark, cross. And let's see where we come to. Nobody else is going to know your answers. It's a secret between you and God. <laughs> but just go down that list. And like I said, this is a little bit of a trick. So go carefully, but don't go slowly. Just as quick as you can. My goal is to make you think, is this true? <laughs> or is this what I've been taught and God wants to show me something fresh? My view of God is very important because the way I see God will influence how I treat you. Incidentally, while we're just giving you a minute longer, I want to give a shout out to all the men who know that it's okay to wear pink in church. Amen. Feel very affirmed, gentlemen. Thank you. <laughs> I looked in the closet this morning and thought, shall I? Mm, yeah, why not? <laughs> and clearly I was on the right wavelength because there's several others of us here. So, welcome. All right, that's long enough. If you didn't get all of them, you can do it later at home. That's fine. And let me say this, I don't want any of you to brand me a heretic or go around declaring that Catch the Fire Myrtle Beach is a cult, but I would like to suggest to you that there are only five true statements on that list. I told you I was going to trick you. I would like to propose that only the vowels are tr fully true. Now you're going to spend the rest of the message going down the list arguing with me. I'd like you to fold your sheet and leave it to think about later. I will gladly discuss with you after the meeting or sometime this week why I think there's something wrong with all of those others. Now some of them, and here's what I want you to catch, some of them feel right, don't they? But... When you reflect on them, which is what you're going to do when you get home, I promise you, <laughs> you'll see, oh no, okay. Some of this is what religion's told me, and actually it's not fully true. And so it affects the way I see God. And therefore, the way I treat other people. Because we tend to make God in our own image. The church has been doing it for centuries. <laughs> uh, 
uh, and I don't want to get lost into all of that, so let me pull myself back from that rabbit trail. But let me recommend this to you. Seek input from people you know you don't agree with. A, because you might learn something, even from the heretic Englishman who's speaking this morning. You might learn something. And also, it may well sharpen for you how you've experienced God and how you know God, because they may have tasted something that you haven't tasted yet, and there may be something in it for you. So we want to walk away from the certainty, and I'm not suggesting we lose our trust in Jesus. Please don't hear me wrong, okay? But if we walk away from our certainty that I'm right and you're wrong, I'll point at you, Sherry, because I know you'll forgive me. You know, if I walk away from the certainty that I'm right and you're wrong because you don't agree with me on this little jot or tittle of theology, if we can turn away from that, then there's room for God to use us to bring the, the best out of one another and to discover God in one another. Let me explain a little more what I mean. You see, religion has taught us depending on which flavors of religion you've tasted and drunk from, that God is always angry. He's constantly holding back his wrath. Somehow he does it through Jesus. He's a holy God and we are sinful and therefore God all the time is kind of biting his tongue and putting his arm behind his back so that he would smite you. I'm caricaturing for the sake of clarity, all right? Or maybe you've tasted the form of religion where God is passive and he's just constantly forgiving and he never really cares whether you are a complete mess or a beautiful saint. It's like, yeah, it's okay. Kind of like Santa Claus God. <laughs> or maybe religion has taught you that God is legalistic. There's another form of Santa Claus, if you like. He knows if you've been naughty. He knows if you've been good. <laughs> Don't complete the song, but anyway. God is always watching what I do. And he's going, yep, nope, yep, nope. A little bit like I made you do with the true false sheet at the beginning there. Here's what I want to show you. I think we as human beings rightly turn away from a God who's like those caricatures. But if we turn away from a God who's angry or we turn away from a God who's passive, we become what we've turned away from and we treat others in the same way. Does that make sense? And we don't want to do that because we end up not really representing what God is like in our world. And through the wonderful worship this morning, we've truly declared what God is like. He steps into pain. He steps into disasters. He steps into lostness. He steps into all of these settings and he brings us to himself. That's good news, isn't it? We want to represent him truly. So what is God really like? There's a very simple answer. God is like Jesus. God is like Jesus. So yeah, God is love. God is good. That's two of the five correct statements on the sheet that you're going to be pouring through in your quiet time this week so you can come and argue with me. I'm fine. That's good. 
Do it. God comes to find us. If you look through this library of books called the Bible, if you start at the beginning, we see Adam, don't we? And Adam does something stupid. He listens, he and Eve listen to a lie. And what happens then? Then they go and hide because they're naked, because they fell for figuring out what's right and wrong. But what does God do? Comes to find them. Adam, where are you? He comes to find them. And then just a few chapters later, you've got Cain, Adam and Eve's son. He, of course, having grown up in a family that's all about hiding in bushes and covering themselves with fig leaves and being kicked out of gardens, doesn't really know, the original dysfunctional family, I guess, you know, doesn't really know the right way to treat his brother when his brother worships God in a way that God prefers to the way that Cain's worshipping God, so he deals with it in his own way. The way that we deal with people who drive in the fast lane at 45 miles an hour. We smite them at least in our minds. And what does God do? He comes to Cain and he says, Cain, what are you thinking? What are you doing? Sin is crouching at the door. God comes to him. Fast forward through Genesis. Abram gets this amazing promise from God, doesn't he? And then, I don't know if this applies to any of us, but Abram tries to help God out. He tries to make the promise happen. Right? It's called Ishmael. Not a pretty sight. But what does God do? God comes to him. And he makes the true promise happen. And he even blesses the son that was Abram's effort to make the promise happen. Beginning to catch how good God is. Let's pull a few more out of the Old Testament. Moses. Gets this amazing promise from God. You're going to save all my people out of all this slavery. You've got a calling, brother. But he gets impatient. Anybody ever get impatient with your calling? Yeah. Two of us. (laughs) All of us. (laughs) He kills an Egyptian, doesn't he? And he ends up on the backside of the desert hiding. Looking after sheep. Because looking after sheep is easier than looking after Israelites. He's going to find that out later. But what does God do? Comes to find him. Some of us are getting the picture here. Yeah. He comes to find him in a bush, doesn't he? Fast forward a few more hundred years. David gets this amazing promise from God, doesn't he? He gets called in from looking after sheep. There's a theme here, isn't there? Looking after sheep is always easier than what God's called us to do. But he gets this promise. He's going to be the king over the whole nation. Remember, there isn't a whole nation yet. He's going to unite the nation, the 12 tribes, and be their king. And that one works out because he waits for a long time and he gets persecuted by authority and he waits and he waits and he waits and finally God fulfills the promise. But then he throws it all away. 
because he sees a pretty woman in a hot tub. But what does God do? Comes to find him. We're hearing a theme here. That baby dies, but the second son of the woman that the adulterous murderer married, the second son is Solomon, who becomes the first picture of royalty that we later see in Jesus, right? Because Jesus is the great, 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 I didn't count how many, grandson of David through Solomon and Bathsheba. God came to find him when he'd been patient and then he blew it. Some of us need to hear that God comes to find you even when you've done well and then blown it. God doesn't seem to have a limit on when he comes to find me. God chose a whole nation, didn't he? Israel. But they turned away from him and they were unfaithful. So he raised up the prophets to bring them back. Hosea marries a prostitute as a symbol of God's commitment to an unfaithful bride. When you finish going down the list of my heresies this week, you might turn to Hosea chapter 11. Makes very interesting reading. In light of a God who comes to find us and express his heart of love to an unfaithful people. If I was to summarize the whole of the Old Testament, which is a very reckless and bold thing to do, but I would summarize it like this. God makes promises. Human beings turn away. And God comes to find them. And then, of course, you get to the New Testament. And the New Testament is called the New Testament because it's... Yeah, (laughs) it's new. It's better than the old because it's completer than the old. I, I don't know if that's a word, is it? But anyway, it fulfills what God had started because in the New Testament we meet Jesus who is the embodiment of God comes to find us. God comes to save, that's what Jesus means. God saves Jesus, Joshua. And he becomes a human being. And he shows us what God is like. He demonstrates God in a human body. So how does Jesus show God to some of the people we see in the New Testament? Let me shout out different characters and you can throw in for me how Jesus shows God to these people. What about the woman at the well in John chapter 4? Acceptance. Did she deserve acceptance? She was on her sixth man and five of them she'd married and divorced. And No, she didn't deserve it, but yes, he gave her acceptance, didn't he? That was you. Beautiful. 
What about Zacchaeus in Luke 19? You know, the little guy, the little corrupt guy up a tree. (laughs) How did Jesus show God to Zacchaeus? He went to his house. Was that allowed? Okay. (laughs) It wasn't allowed, but Jesus did it anyway. He crossed boundaries, yeah. I love that. He accepted him. Thank you. That's good. Let's have another one. What about the woman caught in adultery? Uh, That's John 8. How did Jesus show God to her? Mercy? Yeah. Forgiveness? Yeah. Hope? He saved her life. That's just true. Because they were going to stone her, weren't they? They tried to trick Jesus and stone the woman, and they ended up doing neither. That shows you... He did. So, let me ask you this. Kay's right. He told her, go and sin no more. How did that sound to the woman? Did it sound like, go and sin no more? No. No. Jesus gave her the ability to do that. Thank you. Jesus gave her the ability to go and sin no more. It's like, go. Here's a blank check. (laughs) Don't sin anymore. (laughs) How about... This is my favorite one, I suppose, in some ways. Remember the leadership retreat that Jesus led? Let's get in the boat and go over the other side of the lake to Gadara. Yeah? That was a good leadership retreat, wasn't it? They found that guy in the tombs. (laughs) The Gadarene demoniac, whose name was Legion, which means there's lots of us. How did Jesus show God to him? Freedom? Deliverance? Hmm? Powerful, yes. He knew God had showed up in a boat from across the lake, right? He knew it. In fact, he knew it so powerfully, he wanted to go with him. And Jesus said, nope, you stay here. (laughs) Show everybody else how good God is. That's good, isn't it? A couple more. What about the paralytic who got lowered through the roof by his friends? Remember that one? Mercy, yes. Son, your sins are forgiven. That really ruffled the religious people. How dare you? (laughs) Right? But healing and wholeness. That's what followed the forgiveness, wasn't it? He gave him mercy first and then he gave him wholeness. Same for us, right? Jesus shows God to people in ways that are amazing. And it's all about coming to find you where you are coming to meet you where you are and coming to transform where you are. His friends had to bring him in, that's right. I mean, partly because he couldn't get there by himself. (laughs) You know what? The reason I'm talking about this being us bringing the best out of one another is that we're going to do that for our friends. Right? Pick up the ones who think that Jesus doesn't want anything to do with them and if we need to, break through the roof and drop them in in front of him. That was like the guy at the Pool of Siloam as well, wasn't it? He'd given up all hope because he didn't have anybody there for him. So in some cases, Jesus is even going to go to people that we know who think that even we can't help them. And he's going to step in and he's going to do something powerful. 
God is perfectly revealed in Jesus Christ. Perfectly revealed in Jesus Christ. God willingly limits himself and comes to find us. That's what Jesus shows us. God empties himself. The technical term for that is kenosis, but we don't need to get into theology too deeply. And Jesus becomes a human being, not just to be an example for us to copy, but to be the first human who ever fully obeys the Father so that he can bring us into the same experience. Philippians 2 describes that, starting from verse 6. Though he was in the form of God, he did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. God is perfectly revealed in Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Perfectly revealed. Now, not to go too deep into church history, but we here in the West, in the modern rational world, have been given a Jesus who's not really that complete. We've been given a twisted kind of caricature of what the gospel really is, the good news really is. Because if we're not careful, we look at the cross and we look at Jesus and we see it through legal lenses. Good versus bad and somebody has to get smacked. It's a retributive view. And if I caricature it, and I don't mean that any of us believe this, but we need to recognize where we've got a twisted view of God because if we're not careful, the way we treat others comes from the way we see God. Remember that? If I caricature the, the Western modern legal view of the cross, it's that God is beating himself up in human form so that he can satisfy his anger against sin. Now that's crazy, isn't it? God's not bipolar. <laughs> but if we take it to its extreme and caricature it, that's what that view says. Now there, there, there is truth in some of that. Don't throw it away. But don't hold that as the only way you see God. You see, there's a, an older, more ancient view that sees the cross as more of a, a hospital scenario than a law court scenario where I'm sick and I need to be treated until my sickness is dealt with and is no longer affecting me. So my sin is a sickness, not just a legal penalty. So that's why I'm grateful that we've had a couple of testimonies today of how God works progressively to set us free from sickness. It's a restorative view of the cross, where what Jesus does on the cross restores us and restores humanity by bringing obedience even to the point of death. So the cross, in this view, is 
the pinnacle of humans rejecting God. They crucified him. The, the religious powers and the governmental powers worked together to reject God. That's what happened, didn't it, in Jerusalem on that day, on Good Friday. But in that rejection is when God is reconciling humanity back to himself because of the obedience of the first man to fully obey God. You see how restorative that is? 2 Corinthians 5.19 says that God is reconciling the world to himself, not counting our sin against us. In other words, to expand what we've been saying all the way through here, God comes to find us even when we kill him. And he restores humanity and reunites humanity with the divine. He reunites human beings with the Trinity. It's beautiful. That's why we call it atonement. That's a word that was created to express what happens when we accept what Jesus has done for us. Atonement, you break it down, it's at one meant. So we become one with God again. It doesn't mean you become God. That's not a good place to go. But it means we become one with God. I've been reading a lot on atonement. And I realize that I've internalized a lot of unhelpfully incomplete pictures of what God did in the atonement. And I want to unpack some more of that. So when we get to our more series on Thursdays, starting mid-September... One of the things we're going to do in the teaching segment of that is to begin to dig more deeply into what does the atonement look like so we can live in the fullness of it. But to wrap this up for this morning, let me come back to what I said at the beginning. How I treat others rests on how I view God. And so my goal has been to help you to say to yourself, have I maybe not seen the fullness of how God sees me and how God sees other people. Maybe there's more than I've learned, more than I've been taught, because I believe there is. There's always more. We say that a lot around here, don't we? There's always more. You see, how I treat you definitely flows from how I see God. If I believe that God is angry with my sin, I'll be angry with your sin. Does that make sense? If I believe that God turns away from me when I sin, then I'll turn away from you when you sin against me, and I'll expect you to turn away from me when I know I've sinned. The catch, of course, is that our expectations flow over into our behavior, and we experience what we expect. Ouch. You don't need to raise a hand, although I'll raise mine. Has anybody ever rejected in church? (laughs) hope it wasn't me but if it was forgive me let me say it again actually let me say one more thing first if I believe God is dividing humanity into the good ones and the bad ones I'm going to do the same hmm But if I believe, as I do believe, 
that God turns toward me when I mess up. If I believe, and I do believe, that God follows after me when I turn away from him, then I'm going to do the same for you. And you're going to do the same for me and for those around you. Because that's what God shows us all the way through. I want to finish with one more passage. It's in 1 John. We've been in 1 John a lot these last few weeks, haven't we? But 1 John chapter 4. Let me read a bit of this and then we're going to have a time of ministry together. 1 John 4. And I'll start from verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Let me read a couple more verses because I feel like I want to get to the end of this bit here. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So John is repeating, in slightly longer form, what Jesus said as the summary of the commandments, the greatest commandments. Love God with all you've got, and love the person next to you as you love yourself. Right? Hmm. I want to have a clearer, truer view of God. I want my heart to know how he views me. When I mess up, he follows me, he pursues me, he comes to me. 
when I sin, he comes to me. He wants me to receive his forgiveness. When I die, I'm not going to die. When I die, I'm going to live more fully than I live now. He wants every one of us to experience his love. Whenever I feel far off, he wants me to experience a homecoming. And that's why I want us to start praying this morning as we respond to God. Let's just close our eyes. If you feel far from him for whatever reason, while our eyes are closed, I'd love you just to indicate that because I want to pray a prayer for all of us who feel far from him to be able to experience a homecoming. Yeah, just raise a hand so I can see it. Thank you. Thank you. Father, I believe that it touches your heart when we admit to ourselves and to you that we feel far from you. Just as a father would run to find a child who he'd lost, or a shepherd would run to find a sheep who he's lost, or a woman would not stop until she's found a coin that she's lost. So you long for us to know how close we are to you. And so for those of us who've indicated this morning that we feel far from you, would you come and meet me now, Father? Would you come and touch my heart and reveal yourself to me in a deeper way? And let me experience another homecoming to your love because you are not a God who counts things against us whether things we've done or things that we've not done you're not keeping score you're keeping your arms open wide to us so would you come and wrap your arms around those who raised a hand now and those whose hearts said yes that's me Come and wrap your arms around us now that we would experience your love in a deeper way. Thank you, Father. And Father, for all of us, as you've stretched our brains a little this morning to see that maybe you're bigger than we'd realized or maybe you're more committed to pursuing people than I'd realized or maybe that you care more deeply than I care about the people around me Or maybe that I've just misunderstood you slightly and thought that you 
turn away every time you see sin. Father, would you help us to see you more truly? And would you grace every one of us to turn toward you whenever the enemy tries to separate us from you? But Father, when those around me get separated from me, whether my fault or their fault or simply the enemy's fault, would you turn my heart toward them? Would you grace me to turn toward others as you turn toward me? And just in the quietness, I'm going to ask you to ask God, who do I start with, Father? Would you grace me to turn toward others? Where do I begin? He may give you a name, he may give you a face, he may give you something to do. But I believe it's on his heart to give us all the opportunity to turn toward someone who without him we may not, but with him we can. time has gone, but I want to just agree with those of you who feel like, yeah, God has shown me something to do out of this this morning. A person to turn toward or an action to take. And so if that's you, just raise a hand with me. And Father, we agree for one another that you are gracing us right now to turn toward those you turn toward. Because I believe the world will see more of what you're like as we do that. And many who currently are afraid of you or turn from you will turn toward you when they realize that you're different from what they thought they, you, you are. So Father, let us be instruments of reconciliation by turning towards those that you turn towards. And Holy Spirit, you dwell in us to make it so. So we rely on you. And we love you. In Jesus' name. Now you're welcome to ask someone to pray with you. If you don't have someone you trust to ask right next to you, you're welcome to come and uh, be prayed for at the front. We don't make it a big deal, but we do believe God meets us in these times. And you're free to chat and to go whenever you're ready. We're so glad you've been here. Hope it's been helpful, and we'll see you back here next week. God bless. <laughs>